Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, and I'm joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, as we were coming on to record, I have some dire news to pass along. Uh-oh. Okay. Derek Dieter has retired from the NFL. Wow. I know. I know. Isn't that tough to hear? That's interesting. Pour one out for the sheepdog. Well, we have a lot to get to today on today's show. We got a jam-packed show. It is, it's what, the third week of voluntary OTAs. Uh, We had a ton of news come through uh, this week when it comes to the Chiefs. In our second segment, we'll go back to some of the points made by the Chiefs assistants. It was Chiefs assistant media day last week. So I just want to review some of the things that I found interesting. Not everything is interesting when it comes to the assistants. Sometimes they're a little bit careful, especially when it comes to Chiefs coaches. But I, I thought there were some takeaways that I want to get back to. And then my final segment I'm calling Answers and Questions today. The answers, some of the things that I saw in last week's media look that occurred on Thursday. And then we'll turn the page a little bit because we won't talk until next week, John, until mandatory minicamp gets underway. So a little bit of a preview questions that we have about the chiefs hmm. headed into mandatory minicamp so it's a jam-packed show i can never predict the amount of time it's going to take but i guarantee it's probably going to be over an hour today so strap in buckle in we do have to get to reviews first and we actually had three of them come in this week john so we'll All react right. to those and then we'll get get into the chief's news first one from wesley heiser Love the show. Uh, Gives me a great podcast to not only distract myself from work, but also to learn and listen to different opinions and takes about football and the Chiefs. Question, if everyone at AP did a combine, who's getting drafted first? John, uh, I'll go to you on this one first. Uh, I'm certain I would be Mr. Irrelevant. That's all I know. (laughs) So you would be last. Yeah, yeah. Based upon reviews alone, the great Brits are going one too. I, I, yeah, that that right. it seems like mm-hmm. it seems like everyone just wants to hang out with them all day. And I mean, look, I I don't blame you. They're fun. Uh, they're loving. They got the cool accents. They're Emmy Award winners uh, at this point. I don't know. I I'll go with our lead analyst Ron, right? Because mm-hmm. he has gone through all these coaching clinics. He works with kids when it comes to football. I feel like he should at least maybe have some kind of advantage when it comes to the combine. I would do poorly as well. I don't know if I would be Mr. Irrelevant. I will tell you that much, John. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you uh, 
uh, have that honor, but I, I feel like I would not be drafted in like the top tier, right? It's just a lot of, a lot of mouth, no sizzle when it comes to the combine for me. Yeah, if I had to go and do the three cone drill, they'd have to take me to the hospital afterwards. Yeah, I'm just we saying. We wouldn't. Yeah. Really. We, you might have to sit out a few, few drills. No offense. <laughs> All right. uh, this one from Revive the Human, and it says, level up your water cooler talk. Everyone who is anyone in Chief's Kingdom listens to the AP podcast. In season, off season, doesn't matter. Listen up and get the scoop, or else you might end up spouting some national media takes at the water cool- cooler <laughs> Like a putz. Putz is an underrated word to <laughs> negatively call someone. So I'm glad that you used it, uh, revived the human. Pete uh, and, and the crew have done a nice job uh, since the other guys left. All the segments are good. Here are the top three. We actually got the nod on this one. Editor's show. Uh, wow. And then our guys, Ron Kopp, we just mentioned, and Matt Stagner at Out of Structure. And then the British dudes, uh, which, which I like. Uh, one thing I do miss is how the old guys would break down Andy's play calling in great depth. I learned so much about football from those episodes. Maybe next season we could get a method to the madness segment that goes into detail about the scheme. Keep up the great work, brethren. What I, I will say, and I, I love this review revive because you're just giving me all kinds of ways to tease things at arrowheadpride.com. I love teases. I love listens. I love clicks. That's what that's what we're aiming for that's here. What we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Ron, are we just going to talk about Ron all show? He is working on a series that is going to be looking into what this new Chiefs offense will look like on Wednesdays. And I'm sure that we can. And Steve, you can tell Ron this, too. We, I'm sure we can work in a version of that for their out of structure podcast. So we'll take sure. that and we'll work it into a, a segment for you. Maybe that that we do in the offseason uh, when they do do out of structure and it carries into the season. All right, one more review, and then we can get to the news finally. This is from uh, J.P. Ellsworth. This is the best podcast for all the Chiefs needs in a variety of personalities and perspectives. My favorite is the AP Editor's Show. Their knowledge and objectivity offers a lot of insight and is grounded as much as possible in fact and not hopes or projections. I was born and raised in KC. He's in Seattle uh, where they have forgotten what good football is, well, especially now with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. I mean, if you thought the football was bad before, It is about to get worse. Uh, He continues. It's great to be connected to Chiefs Kingdom from afar. I listen every week, year round. Thanks for being awesome. Here's the question for AP editors. I consistently hear Andy Reid's offense is hard to learn, but I never hear these specifics as to why. Is it harder for some positions like wide receiver compared to running back or, or, or OL? And if so, why? Is it more the memorization or the execution, the thickness of the playbook or the complexity? Is it the hardest in the NFL? Also, why is route running apparently so difficult to be good at? Clearly it is, but I don't get why. Okay, I'm going to do my best to answer this. Uh, Of course, I've never had Andy Reid's actual playbook in my hands, but everyone that has come to the Chiefs since I've been doing this, which is almost a decade now, uh, especially at the receiver, tight end room, running backs, the problem that comes with the playbook is that every skill player that's not a quarterback needs to learn each and every position at the line. And even new quarterbacks come in. So we were at OTAs and they got the new quarterback, Dustin Crum, you have Andy Reid, and, and he'll go over and listen to Crum spouting out the the play call because they're so complex. Because within the play call, it's it's how you're lining up, but also which player is where, and it's it's very complex. And and you talk about terminology, and a, a lot of people feel that maybe that is what held Josh Gordon back a little bit. For example, he came in in the middle of the year, and it's a really tough thing to get down in the middle of the year. Not that I'm saying I'm signing up to be Josh Gordon guy once again, but I do think that he has a better chance coming in with a full offseason than 
just dropped in from you know the sky in the middle of the season Fortnite style trying to figure this out on the fly uh, and so, you know, that's what I'd say. Uh, the the playbook allows Andy to put all these guys wherever. That's why, you know, you'll sometimes see even Clyde lined up out wide right. mm-hmm. or you'll have McColl in the backfield. You know, they can do that with anyone. Sometimes the, the tight ends are, are lining up a little bit closer to the quarterback and you see like the tight end shovel or screen. And mm-hmm. not every there are more simplified playbooks around the league. And so that is the best way I can answer that. Uh, again, as we go into what the new chiefs offense looks like, I'm sure there's going to be wrinkles that even these guys who've been here for years don't know, which will be another really interesting part of that series we're doing. And as we watch this thing uh, develop as, as the year goes on and then route tree, it, it's like anything, each, each route I think has different aspects to it when it comes to turning on a dime, right? Turning on a dime left. Sometimes you're running a slant, for example, and it's a muscle memory thing. And, and to learn the full route tree takes years. I mean, it, no better example of that than now Miami Dolphin wide receiver Tyree Kill, who really came in as this running back, mm-hmm. maybe had some receiver upside and honed it as the years went on to the point of being a master, really. And so it's right. something that, mm-hmm. that, you know, you come in with these raw skills and you could work on. So when you hear route tree, it, it's these guys really trying to develop the full route route tree and once they do then you can maybe up enter that upper echelon of receivers pass catchers uh, in the nfl the the chiefs have uh uh travis kelsey who's who's very very good at this and it what is adds with him is he has sometimes the freedom to change his route which you you've seen a lot with mahomes look at you know you look at the bills game they made that up in a sense on the fly where he just was going to go to the seam where it's open it wasn't an exact route so as you get older in your career it gets more nuanced and anyway that's the best way i can answer any any uh or i should say those questions do you have anything to add before we move to the news john well i just point out that it's not just about the receivers you know on the offensive line uh the chiefs run multiple schemes i mean some plays are 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 zone blocking uh Mm -hmm. schemes some are gap schemes uh so there's a lot of things that go into every play then and you got to know what everybody else is doing, right. and that's the whole point of the complexity of the offense. Is there's just a lot more to learn in order to do it effectively, not only for the receivers but also for the guys on the line. Right, and and you have, I, I think, an added emphasis of of Andy in, in historically he'll go after what are athletic linemen. It's shifted mm-hmm. a little bit in recent years where they're going a little yeah. bit bigger. Uh, it, it does seem like there might have been a shift in focus, um, and and that's a, another credit to Andy. He'll he'll tend to adjust the offense to his players rather than vice versa, which is, in my opinion, one of the things that has made him consistently successful over oh, over twenty yeah. years. Yeah. All right. Well, we got through the reviews. If you want to hear us discuss your question or whatever you want to say to us you can leave an apple review we really really appreciate five stars everything helps to continue to promote arrowhead pride make us bigger better as they said make the water cooler but talk better across the board right that's what we're aiming to do all right so john uh phase three of the chief's offseason program continued on tuesday this is the final week of what they call voluntary workouts Uh, How this is going is there are four Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, the final four voluntary workouts. And that leads into next week's mandatory minicamp. So we're getting 
really close to the end of the offseason, a lot closer to what we here call the absolute dead period. But mandatory minicamp is the first time that all the players are expected to be there. In previous years, before previous CBAs, it seemed like there was an unofficial nudge more so to be at voluntary. I think there's a lot less of that now. It seems a little bit more player-friendly, the league, but you have to be there next Tuesday or you're fine, essentially. Right. And uh, so, and and it's also a more of a full contact kind of situation. So we'll, you know, up to this point in OTAs, it's all been about, uh, it's been all about the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. Um, it's basically just been playing catch with some offensive linemen standing in front of you. So we'll get a much clearer idea next week uh, what's going to happen on the offensive and defensive lines than we've had up to this point, which because you just can't really do much uh, when you can't have contact in these drills. As a little preview here, Andy Reid and select players are scheduled to speak this Thursday. You can catch them right here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network on our From the Podium series. All right, our next piece of news, John, here. Orlando Brown Jr. says he oh won't, that says the Chiefs won't want to enter 2022 with a backup left tackle. All right, as we know, Brown has finally hired an agent. This was the next chip to fall in the Chiefs offseason. We had asked Andy Reid what the deal was with Orlando Brown. He was franchise tagged in what, March, Mar- May, one of those months. It was one of the end months. March. A- yeah. March. Yeah. And uh, we had thought maybe that the Chiefs and Brown could come to a long-term agreement sooner, but it, it was simply the organization saying, well, we need him to sign an agent. He signed an agent, Michael Portnor, who has never created an NFL contract. And this was apparently by design. NFL Network's Mike Garofolo said that Brown didn't want an agent that was buddy-buddy with the GMs. Uh, essentially, no aspect to the agent that was looking to put the team first in, in in what would be this negotiation so he hires michael portner and then he goes on nfl total access on nfl network shout out to jared sap for covering this for us last night i wasn't in a position to do it and he, he did a great job with an article for us and brown told garofolo and sean o'hara that he's very confident a long-term deal will get done but here's the thing that i didn't i didn't love this especially simply based off the things that have come into effect within our division, the type of defensive ends that have been brought in, the type of players and all of that type of stuff. It's not the year to go in with a backup left tackle. Almost a little threatening there. And then it continues. So I'm very confident that the Kansas City Chiefs will will get that done. And then to to his credit, and I'm glad that Jared mentioned this stuff in, a, in our article, he compliments Andy Heck. He compliments the way that Andy Reid had put him in position the comfort that he developed with with Pat and then goes on to say he's working on his footwork and his feel, trying to understand how his body moves. He's going to be coming into 2022 and he is going to be in shape and better than ever. Uh, essentially, he's been working out in Miami. We, we have seen that club have been playing uh, tennis uh, come through. Usually we do the Arrowhead Pride poll at the end of what would be the show, but I'm going to just do it now because I, I think it, it's more relevant to talk about now. I asked, do the Chiefs need Orlando Brown Jr. to win the Super Bowl? And the choices were, without a doubt, probably, but unsure, likely no, but unsure, and absolutely not. And we got 2,500 votes, which is usually a pretty good indication of how the fan base Mm -hmm. feels. Once we get 25, it it, it doesn't really change all that much. What is the leading feel right now among fans? 
is probably needing Brown, but they're unsure. 49%. So about half the fan base feels like, eh, you know what? We probably need this guy if we're going to get this done this year. I'm not 100% sure about that. Next is without a doubt. And that, that came in at 29%. So about a, a third of the fan base really feels like we got to get this guy uh, no matter what. So half of that, I'm going to do some math here, not, not my strong suit, is let's say about 80%. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of the fan base that is tending to say, look, uh, as much as this is becoming annoying in a way, we need this guy. There's no other better option. And that's true, probably true. Uh, you know, it, it, I don't love the way that it, it sort of came off on NFL Network, but at the end of the day, it would be a big risk to just not have Brown on the roster. You, you're, you're going to have a significant deficiency at a really important position. I'll continue with the poll, and, and then I'll let, let you speak on this, John. Likely no, not needing Brown, but unsure came in at 16%, and absolutely not needing Brown came in at only 5.6%. So the prevailing thought, four out of five Chiefs fans really feel like they got to work something out with this guy. I think where the hesitance is is paying him high-end, more than anyone else, left tackle money. That might be what he wants. Kind of seems like that's what he wants. And we continue with this stalemate. Then we have about five weeks to figure out. Well, I think this is an an excellent example of uh, the minority making a lot of noise. (laughs) Um, Because if you go to Twitter, if you go to our comment sections, people are going nuts about the potential of giving Orlando Brown Jr. a big contract. Look, we knew this was coming. When they traded for the guy, let's be, let's be clear about this. We knew when the chiefs gave up those, uh, what amounted to what a a mid second round pick, I guess, by most standards to get Orlando Brown jr. With one year left on his rookie contract, that he was going to be signed to a long-term deal that was going to be worth a lot of money. This is not news. Okay. And it's not unusual for a player who is not the best player in the league to, for a short time, have one of the most expensive contracts in the league. We talked about this last week. This is the way it works. And people are going nuts about the idea that he's going to get this big contract when he's not the top left tackle in the league. But this is how this is what happens. It happens every year at most positions in the NFL. And if we're going to have a guy who can uh, do the job for a period of time where we don't have to worry about him, he may be just above average, maybe right at average, but he's going to make a lot of money doing it. We did the same thing with Eric Fisher. And I think it's funny now that this conversation about Orlando Brown Jr. is going on. And it's exactly the same conversation we had about Eric Fisher when he was up for his contract renewal after his rookie contract where people said, Oh, we don't want to pay him all this money because you know, he's just an average guy. And now, and he, and he was, but over time he was solid for the chiefs. The chiefs went a long way with Eric Fisher at left tackle. And now we're talking about doing essentially the same thing and people are going nuts. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) Well, you know, when we talked about how the NFL needed to redo the pro bowl and, it is sort of silly that the all pro is more important that the vote really determines if that player goes to Hawaii or Orlando or wherever they're having it. 
I don't know. I find that annoying with a little bit with Brown because he won or he was named to the Pro Bowl the last three years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could say that three time Pro Bowler made it the last three years. He deserves that type of, of deal. But I don't know. I, I don't think he does. Right. He wasn't named a, an all pro. Right. Which tends to think it's, you know, is, is more respected. And mm-hmm. I think that's where it's tough. And he's right. The Chiefs are sort of out of options there. I mean, what are you going to have Jaron Christian or Roderick Johnson there? I, I don't think you could do that. You have the Tooney option, but then now you're one injury away from a 2020 like disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One or two injuries away. Yeah. So he does have the Chiefs on the brink, but I don't know if you need to go on NFL Network right. and say that. I don't know if you need to put out there, I don't want an agent who's buddy-buddy with the GMs. There are some things that you could keep closer to the vest to make the negotiations go more smoothly if, as he reported through, or as was reported through Nate Taylor of The Athletic, uh, a few minutes before we got on, wants to be the left tackle for Patrick Mahomes his whole career. I don't like the way that Brown has necessarily went about it. And you're right. When they traded for him, they always felt like the tag could be an option, which mm-hmm. is why I just tend to think that that is going to end up being what happens. I think right. Veach sort of saw this when he made the trade playing out that way in the media right after the trade and through Ian Rappaport. And this that comes from the chief side. They sort of alluded to the tag could be an option. And I just think at the end of the day, that's where they land. Uh, what is annoying about this is fast forward one year from today, and we could ta- be talking about the same thing again, because mm-hmm. now you're talking about a richer tag. If you do it twice, well, do they move them? What do they do? If they win a title, that really complicates things, because I think then, you know, you're going to have this inkling or this desire to just come back with the same roster to a greater extent, especially with a 27 year old left tackle at that point. Now he's a year older. Do you want to give him that long-term deal? Best case scenario, they figure this out, but I just still tend to think this is going to be too much of a stalemate for me to think that it'll be anything other than the tag. And I don't think Brown is going to be so stubborn to oh, I agree. even dream yeah. of sitting out a year. Right. He's not going to do that. I, I think I, I would be very surprised if Brown actually sits out this year uh, on the franchise tag. I, I just don't see he, him doing that. It, he's not going to make his goal of being one of the premier left tackles of the league if he sits out a year because he can't come to a long-term deal with the Chiefs. That's just not going to happen. And I think even a first-time agent would be smart enough to advise him of that. I, I think a lot of this has to do with uh, the agent situation. You've got a guy who's not terribly experienced at it. Uh, he's maybe not giving Orlando good advice about what to talk about and what not to talk about. Even the mention of uh, the potential for the Chiefs putting a backup left tackle out there has set the internet on fire. And uh, I don't think I don't think that's a serious suggestion on his part. I think he's just speaking without thinking. And um, uh, I'm, I'm it's unfortunate that it played out that way, in my opinion. But, it, yeah, you know, I, it is it what did, it is. It, it didn't need to start to veer down the path of a public prop like you. Yeah. If you're in closed door, if you're behind closed doors and your agent wants to say that to, to Brett Veach, like Brett, I know that you guys need Orlando. Right. That's fine. Right. 
Yeah. That's part of right. negotiations. Right. There's no need to go on NFL Network. Right. And do it. I, I don't know. I, I You hope it gets resolved because it would be really dumb for a sit-out situation to really affect the Chiefs' chances because, and I know, you know, folks will say, well, they need to be better along the defensive line, and I completely agree. I, I think you'd feel a lot better if a veteran was there. But is that going to hold you back from winning the division? I'm sure some people would say yes. I don't think so. If if you can't figure out this left tackle situation, it would be a little bit concerning for for sure. And so I think you know, as a fan, you got to hope that it it gets gets resolved there. All right, less uh, important matters, and of course, that's Pro Football Focus rankings. Rashad Fenton, <laughs> I'll let you take this one, John. You wrote that wrote about this for us. He was buried at, at number thirty one. What the hell is going on? Yeah, I, I took a lot of flack for this because uh, a lot of people pointed out correctly that. Uh, PFF had only uh, provided grades for the top 32 corners and there's 64 starting outside cornerbacks in the league. So Fenton is someplace in the middle. What concerned me about it was, was two were two things about this. One was that uh, when you look at his grades last season, he was like the sixth ranked cornerback in the whole league. So what's he doing halfway down the list here? And then the other part of it that, that, is goes in in hand with that is why does a pro football focus writer uh, Anthony Treesh in this case um, move him down to the midpoint of the the top players uh, when he's got a grade of that nature when he had last season a really a really good grade among cornerbacks if I were working at Pro Football Focus I would take that <laughs> those grades as gospel in what I wrote. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be opinions that get put on those grades. It's it's fine for him to say, well, you know, I don't think Fenton's as good as his grade suggests or whatever, but here's the grade. It's not even part of the analysis, and I just thought that was very weird and very inconsistent. That's That was my only take on it. Well, I think that's folks' complaints about pro football focus in general. It mm-hmm. is just so random, it feels mm-hmm. like sometimes, where, you know, you'll watch a game and... I'm just using him as an example, maybe more in years <laughs> past, but man, Frank Clark had a hell of a game. And then he has a 56 grade or something. And mm-hmm. you're like, did I just watch that correctly? And he's like, well, we watched every play and I don't know. And I, I think a lot of people will use PFF if they're trying to prove their point, if it works for that. And then you'll use it <laughs> yeah. less if you're, if yeah. it doesn't really fit with your point. So there's a little bit of that for what it's worth, John, you put up a poll here about 2000 votes. 78% agreed that his, his ranking was too low. And we'll see. I, I I know the Chiefs added a first round cornerback, but I think Fenton has a chance to be right in that mix to be one of these absolutely top guys mm-hmm. for the Chiefs. He has experience, hasn't been participating. You've been seeing him on the side. He's got an old shoulder cleanup issue that has affected him. He, he should be ready for training camp for for what we know. And so we'll see uh, what happens with Fenton. Maybe he comes in higher than thirty one next year. Uh, speaking of silly PFF rankings, they did head coach rankings and Andy Reid, though he was listed as one of the three head coaches in the Hall of Fame tier, uh, was behind Bill Belichick, which is fair, but John Harbaugh and it made a little sense. And, and again, the way they did this was they came up with a average team formula. For example, it's hard to really put Patrick put Andy Reid among the other coaches because he has a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. So they had a a logarithm where they, they computed and tried to put every head coach what would be with an average team. And Andy Reid equated to 
uh, 10.1 wins uh, with an average roster. And I just find that odd because we saw Andy Reid with an average roster from 13 to 17. And then what would be maybe a, a above average quarterback? I like Alex Smith. Some would say he's worse than an above average quarterback, but I, and he, for the most part, had 10 wins every season. So I think that should be a lot higher. And who, who am I to say? And I, I don't think he should be behind Harbaugh. I, I really consider him among the greatest uh, coaches of, of all time. I consider him second among current coaches. Now, this isn't as bad as Rashad Fenton at number 31, John. But right, I, right. I don't know how you look at the last 10 to 20 years and say that Andy Reid isn't the second best head coach in the NFL without it. Out of doubt, right? We understand Bill Belichick earned that. Is it the lack of playoff success? Okay, but to me, and you know, this is and our, our great Brits will appreciate this. This is where, in, in a way, the American playoff system is flawed because a lot of times it's is your playing team is your team playing at the right time. If you you went simply by wins, there's there's no question, right? It, it right. Is, mm-hmm. In the Premier League, it's it just goes by standings. For example, in, in soccer across the way, but what you know what I'd say is I I don't. I still, even after the Super Bowl, don't think Reed necessarily gets the success. And maybe that's part of the reason why he's into his 60s now and it keeps driving other than just Patrick Mahomes and, and loving it. It's like he it's like he almost needs another one or maybe another two Super Bowls to just like truly be considered among the greats. And that's annoying to me in a way. And I don't know why it annoys me uh, because he should already be considered that, in my opinion. I don't know. Well, I agree. I, I think that he's uh, got a much much better case to be ranked behind Belichick than Harbaugh does. But it just goes back to this 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 logarithm they established to determine what an what he would do with an average team. I think one of the problems with a situation like this is that you you get some kind of a theory that you lay out for determining what what might happen with an average roster to to use this example and you figure out what you think it is and then you run it and then you look at the results and say does that make sense and uh i don't know that that's really the the way you can do something like that but but i don't know how else you do it you know you're talking about calculating things that cannot be calculated how would andy reed be on if he was coaching the Jaguars roster last year, right. you know, how would that play out? And uh, I think that part of this, uh, they look at this and see John Harbaugh who has Lamar Jackson right now and has been successful with Lamar Jackson. And then Andy yeah. Reed, who's, who's got Patrick Mahomes. And I can see how they'd look at that and go, well, yeah, that makes sense because Harbaugh has been successful with this quarterback who isn't a, 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 a big passer you know, who's got an entirely different style that might put the whole roster closer to average. I just think this kind of stuff is is crazy, but it's, you know, it's what we do. It's what we do in this business in the offseason as we talk about um, who's the best at this or that position or who's the best coach or whatever. Um, and this is just the way that PFF chose to do it. It's a little weird to me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. I would put Reed ahead of, of Harbaugh, but, you know, they didn't it is worth noting here and 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 john you know this from watching all the andy reed press conferences andy reed has a computer brain note to never rank any players or anything or any coaches or any teams or anything if you ask him to compare anything (laughs) does not compute and he just won't do it 
And so uh, he would hate this. He would hate this conversation. Right. He would hate yeah. this list. Uh, and uh, so we will move on anyway, right? We'll just move on from it. A couple analytics notes. We don't have a lot to say about this because these guys are never made available to the media. We don't even know what, what exactly they do. But the Chicago Bears, and don't forget, general manager Ryan Poles is now mm-hmm. with the Bears, yeah. hired Kretri Shandrath Kassan. I apologize if I butchered that completely. Yeah. As their director of football analytics from the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, he was a senior data scientist with the Chiefs. And uh, on the flip side, the Chiefs hired Mark Richards as a football research analyst. There's something called the Big Data Bowl, mm-hmm. which is an annual analytics contest that challenges members of the community from college students to professionals to contribute to the NFL's continuing evolution of advanced analytics the crowdsource competition uses data and technology to spur innovation that results in creating new insights, making the game more exciting for fans and protecting players from unnecessary risk. And so Richards was on that winning team for 2021. The Chiefs and Mike Frazier certainly noticed this. This year's theme was analyzing pass coverage. I don't know how much you look into that. It just seems like an impressive kid that now gets an opportunity to work for your NFL team and try to give the chiefs a statistical advantage. Yeah, this is um, one of those deals where it's a name that we don't know and we'll probably never hear again until they, until this, this fellow moves on to another job and the chiefs take on somebody else, but it potentially could have large consequences um, with the team. It just depends on, on, on how they use a person like this. Right. Does, is, is is the process that Mike Frazier goes to the, his data scientist and says, okay, here's a question I need answered. I want you to find out X about Y. I want you to look up all the plays where we did this and how it went against other offenses uh, and other defenses, et cetera. Or is this guy sitting in a room somewhere thinking up ways to – uh, use data to help the team. And then he goes to Mike Frazier and tells him about these things. It's probably a little of both. Right. But uh, but we don't know the proportion. And if it's more about uh, the coaches giving direction about what the work to, to do the work, to 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 do the the coding necessary to find the answer. Right. And it, you know, it doesn't matter too much who it is. But if they get somebody who, for example, was uh, on the winning team in the big data bowl and they give him more opportunity to think and to come up with new ways of looking at things, this could be a pretty significant thing. Although we still probably won't hear his name very often. (laughs) In my head, the big data bowl is the social network scene where they're ripping shots and mark zuckerberg the character that was still in college is just saying whoever codes fastest can join my facebook team in palo alto this summer (laughs) and someone gets it and they check it and he he nails it i don't know it's it's interesting i think the fact that analytics continues to grow in the nfl is interesting andy Reid is going to make the decision he makes he is very much a coach that he gets the data and he factors it in i don't know how much i think it really actually depends on the situation you know, I know it's impacted that, that he always defers because he was winning more than he was losing by receiving the football. So eventually he changed that. And I, I think to an extent it's affected in the Mahomes era how often they go for it 
on fourth down, especially mm-hmm. on the other side yeah. of the field. He's gotten a little bit more aggressive with that, uh, you know, as the years have gone on. Uh, how much is that is, is his analytics department? We'll, we'll never know <laughs> until yeah, right. he's retired and maybe shares that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they do factor it in uh, quite a bit. All right. We are, of course, running late because there's a ton of news. So I'm going to run through this Mahomes point really quick. Uh, Peter King called him the fourth most influential person in the NFL. I think that's well-deserved. He's the half a billion dollar man. And through his endorsements and everything he does, the swing juice with the partnership with Coors Light that we saw during the match, he is on his way to being this billion dollar um, quarterback and and man. He has shares of the Kansas City Royals and Sporting KC. Uh, He did do the match and he held his charity event both during the second week of voluntary OTAs very quickly. John, do, do we, care about that he that the starting quarterback is missing them at all no i don't care <laughs> I, mean, my answer, I don't. my 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 answer to that is uh i don't know but i just think we should get used to it because it seems like the mat or the charity event is always going to be on the second week of otas i know right. the match won't happen every year right right, uh, right but it seems like he's doing his charity event th- this week every year and it, and it was on the weekend too he right. didn't miss any time from otas in order to do the charity event in hawaii it was the match that I took think him last away. year he did, though. I think it wasn't all the days of OTAs, but I think he left early, if I'm remembering correctly, last year. So and, what I'm saying is yeah, he may miss a day or two of voluntary OTAs uh, each year. So you might care, but it, I don't think I don't think Mahomes cares what you th- what you or we think uh, <laughs> when it comes to missing. I, look. Uh, if it were a quarterback still developing at the age of sure. 26 that had not won the NFL MVP and a Super Bowl and went to another Super Bowl and was someone that you felt like really needed to learn like a new offense. If there's a year where Andy Reid is no longer the head coach, maybe it might be wise for him to be at every OTA. I don't think it really matters. Well, I'll tell you this, that I don't think the OTAs and the offseason in general would be anything uh, like they are right now if Patrick Mahomes hadn't spent several weeks with his wide receivers down to Texas. Right, and I think week. that by itself that's a good point uh, earns him a lot of slack in the voluntary portion of OTAs because he he basically extended the OTA period by several weeks um and I I think that when other teams see what Mahomes did down there they're going to see they're going to see this happening uh we're going to see this happening at a lot of different teams Okay, so that wraps up our Mahomes portion by the way I watched the whole match we did a recap on arrowheadpride.com fun event I wish it wouldn't have been at 6.30 p.m. at night, but I'm not going to nitpick. All right, Leo Chanel, the linebacker, the draft pick, third rounder uh, signed. Uh, we still have Sky Moore and Joshua Williams to go. This is not yep. something to really worry about. Uh, that'll get done. It's just a, another footnote here. There are six Chiefs candidates for what would be the College Football Hall of Fame, which I find interesting. They are Safety Eric Berry of Tennessee. Former GM John Dorsey, he played at uh, Connecticut. Tight end Tony Gonzalez, California. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't play in Atlanta. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> linebacker Derek Johnson uh, of Texas. Wide receiver uh, Jeremy Macklin, he went to Mizzou. And quarterback Alex Smith went to Utah. I don't have any bold takes about this. I just think it's cool that there's so many uh, former Chiefs-related candidates involved yeah. this year. And, I mean, that kind of guarantees that at least a couple of these guys will get in. You got nothing on that, John? Uh, no, I agree. I, I, there's there's not much to, to say about this. It's all based on what they did in college and 
and um, uh, and I got no problem with any of these these folks who've been uh, who've been put on this list. Uh, certainly, Tony Gonzalez uh, deserves to be in there, as as do the rest of them. Um, all of these guys. It looks, right. it looks like. Why didn't he go in for Atlanta? <laughs> yeah, no. All of these guys were first time or first team All Americans at one point, which is pretty yeah. impressive. I didn't even know that, quite honestly, about John Dorsey, first team All American. Yeah. yeah, nineteen eighty three. Shoot, uh, Dorsey. Now I I believe he's with the Detroit Lions, if I'm not mistaken. All right, moving on. Uh, Romeo Cornell retires after 39 NFL seasons. This was right before I even began covering the Chiefs. So, John, I'll let you take this one. Uh, any reaction to Cornell retiring from the NFL? Well, you know, he's been for a very long time one of the most well-respected defensive coaches in the league. He came to the Chiefs, of course, during the Piola years, where uh, the years that he spent with uh, New England entered largely into Pioli's cal- calculation to bring him to Kansas City. And um, uh, and then, of course, it's ironic that after that happens and uh, and Todd Haley is fired, uh, Cornell becomes the interim head coach. And to me, the the best point of his Chiefs career was that game against the uh, Green Bay Packers, his first game as the head coach. And the Packers came into Arrowhead with a 13 and 0 record and the Chiefs beat them 1914. I remember uh how it how exciting that was uh for the chiefs to to beat the packers in that way it was a, it was a very exciting game it was a very exciting moment and cornell was right there for it and uh to to me even though as the 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 full time head coach the following year the team fell apart um that wasn't his fault um the team was suffering from a long long series of bad personnel decisions and I don't think there was a coach that could have come in and, and fixed it. Um, the, I mean, I think even if Andy Reid had been here a year earlier, he might have had a, a bad season. But yeah, I mean, you hand someone a 7 2 offsuit. This is Texas yeah. Hold'em, right? Like, you're not going to beat pocket aces, right? Right. I, I, I don't, right. I don't know. I, I think he did the job that he was handed. And yeah. Yeah. It was time for the Chiefs to start a new era right after that. And you could just tell, I think, from, the respected head coaches in the NFL that sounded off after he retired. He just, right. he just meant a lot behind the scenes and a, a well-respected guy. And I, I, you know, he took the chiefs and, and obviously a very, very tough time in, in Kansas city. And, uh, you know, did, did I think the best he could when it comes to that chief's tenure there. Um, so congratulations on the retirement to, to Romeo, yeah. uh, Cornell. Well, right. retirement. Yeah. We have reached, John, the Tyreek Hill version of our podcast. And I'm only going to spend one minute on this. And I'm going to let you know when that minute begins, because that's all that this deserves anymore. And when you see the clock right there. All right. I am going to start just for just so you know, at 4230, I'm going to take 30 seconds to talk about this. And then you can take your 30 seconds and then we're going to break. All right. Three, two, one. I don't understand what Tyreek Hill is thinking right now. Man, you had a great time in Kansas City. You were a great player. You were the greatest wide receiver in Chiefs history. You said all these nice things about Kansas City when you went to the Miami Dolphins. We understand why you went to Miami. Why are you putting out this fake tease on your podcast, even suggest that the organization would do something to you in that fashion when it meant a lot to you? I don't get it. Stop doing it. We need to stop giving Tyreek Hill our attention. That's it for my 30 seconds. And I'll follow along with that just by saying ditto.
See, so you know what, John? You, you only need a five seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the rest of your twenty seconds for for a second here, because you, I borrow them and I I could use just a few more. <laughs> we didn't cover this on a side of the weekend when he went to Wichita in Kansas City for a reason, because when he come out and openly mm. admits, yeah, it was just a ploy to get people to listen to my podcast. Yeah. Dude, you can promote your podcast. Don't do it in a way that puts Andy Reid in a bad light. Who, honestly, man, Andy Reid made you. Okay, right. that's enough time. I only said it was going to be a minute. We spent a minute nine. I apologize for the extra nine seconds on Tyreek. I was laughing for part of it. Okay, yeah, that's true. So we get we get nine <laughs> we get nine seconds back. All right, <laughs> when we come back, we will get into the Chiefs' assistance and what they spoke about. Uh, at their media opportunities and some of the things we need to take away from that. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we went through a lot of news, crazy amount of news for it being the middle of June. But look, hey, the NFL is doing its job. They got uh, the Chiefs in the news. And look, we're not going to talk about the baseball or soccer teams in Kansas City because they stink. They both stink. So let's just continue to speculate about the Chiefs, even though there's no games for a couple months. Uh, we had uh, Chiefs defensive coordinator uh, Steve Spagnolo uh, speak at the podium, and we'll get to him in a second. I have my I have my order here backward. We're going to start with uh, no friction between Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy. There had been a lot of rumors, John, this offseason about EB and the AFC title game, and him and Andy Reid and Mahomes not getting along. And so Matt Nagy comes in after his failed tenure as a head coach of the Chicago Bears. We know that there's a great relationship between Mahomes and Nagy. So there had been some speculation about whether these two guys get along. You wrote this up for us. It, it feels like there's nothing to worry about on that front. Yeah, and that doesn't mean there isn't. It just means that there that uh, we can't see it right now. Uh, they could be they could be at, at daggerheads behind the scenes, but they're they're talking about it in a way that sounds okay. And Vienna to me sounded like he was being very genuine about how he felt about uh, about Nagy and and they've stayed in contact all these years while he was in Chicago. Apparently, their families spend time together. I mean, it looks to me like there's no story there. But that's not that everything is fine. That doesn't mean that's what's going on. You know, sometimes they the coaches can do a good job of 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 hiding these disputes uh, and keeping them in the background, but it sure doesn't look that way to me. That's the best I think, I can. I think it's a good point. And EB said that they stayed in touch. And the weird thing here is there is a role reversal. So Nagy was offensive coordinator while mm -hmm. EB was running backs coach, and so now Nagy comes back and is technically under EB as the quarterbacks coach and senior assistant. At the same time, it's it's EB's show. At all the same time, it's Andy Reid's show. You're right, I think, to speculate when it comes to when they start building the offensive game plan. By definition, EB should sort of lead that way when it comes to formulating plays and which plays they pick for the famous opening script. And who knows if that gets a little dicey. To the, all of these guys' credit and... Orlando Brown could take a page out of the books. You'll never hear about it because they're, right, right. they're very good at, at keeping mm -hmm. any kind of disagreement behind closed doors. I think it was great to hear from Nagy and it extends to his comments on Mahomes, which we'll get to in one second. I want to mention quickly on EB before we move to Nagy's Nagy's comments on Mahomes. Uh, I loved his honesty for the first time on the head coach process, man. He has come to the podium now for four years 
And whether you believe he deserves a head coaching job, whether you don't believe he deserves a head coaching job, here's the fact. He's coming, just spit out cliches, and has never really expressed any frustration. The interview we got last week, the press conference that we got last week with EB was the most honest and genuine he has been with the frustrations and what he has to do and how he has to learn. And he got into the accelerator program, which I know a lot of people out there would be like, oh, these programs are so stupid and BS. But there was a program where they sent Tim Terry, a personnel executive with with the Chiefs. Uh, they had a diversity conference, essentially, where owners were involved. But I thought it was really interesting that EB was like, this was one of the better programs that they've had to develop diversity because they had the personnel member factor. So not only was he getting FaceTime with owners, but he's getting FaceTime with the future GMs of the NFL. I mean, there's mm-hmm. typically five or six of these jobs that overturn. So now that he had had a couple days with some of these guys, maybe he has a better opportunity to understand the thought process that future GM X is going to be looking for in a head coach. And if this is the EB we're getting all year, even when it comes to the game articles, I am a very happy uh, editor in chief. I know that you'd be a very happy deputy editor because it's hard to squeeze anything out of EB when it comes to insight. Right. And so uh, I loved this version. If you want to hear what I'm talking about, go back and listen to from the podium, but he just was very, very honest. And I think that can only stand to help uh, his, his chances of getting this head coach role because people can see how he actually is other teams. And I think he can create more buzz for himself. And in that process, because you saw how the interviews declined now over the years, I hope this gives him a boosted amount of interviews when it comes to the next hiring cycle, which will be during the 2023 offseason. Well, you know, I, I think it, it says a lot about, um, the way I took his remarks, let me put it this way. The way I took his remarks was I was given an opportunity to talk with these people without it being a job interview. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a very valuable experience for anybody uh, to to speak with movers and shakers in an informal setting where you can just have some normal, honest give and take about whatever and get to know another person. And I don't think he'd had that many opportunities to do something like that before this moment, to talk with with people, with owners and, and personnel people and people who will eventually be personnel people uh, and get to know them in that way. I imagine he came out of that conference with a, a new resolve to become a head coach because he'd had that opportunity, because he could see okay, I can play in this league. I can have these conversations with people. This is, uh, I think this is a real valuable experience for him. And I think it taught him something. I, I think it's possible we may see a new leaf from Eric Bianami. And I'm like you, I, I, I think that would be fabulous. It'd be fabulous if we could get more, some, some more insight. But I also think that part of what's going on here is the circumstances drag the Eric Bianami as head coach uh, the, as a possible head coach into this part of the season. And normally when, when he's being asked this questions, the season's going on, the off season is underway and he doesn't want to talk about that stuff because mm-hmm. it's a direction from what he's doing in his regular job. So I think now he finally had the opportunity to f- express his frustration. So I think that's part of it, but I also think that he came out of this conference uh, with it, having had a really good experience that, that's got him amped up to to try again. Yeah, I'm excited. He says he just needs to go get it. Uh, it's the atti- it's the only attitude you could have, and we continue to 
root for him. I mean, you would think at at some point this would finally happen. Matt Nagy had some comments on Mahomes. I think it really got fans juiced up that he said Mahomes hasn't reached his ceiling, which is amazing. Uh, If that's the case, then (laughs) he is going to perform like a cyborg monster type of player this year. Now that, that Nagy is back around. Nagy seems to really like his role right now, too. He joked that he was in charge of 250 people in Chicago. He's now in charge of three. So I think it's very refreshing to be back in Kansas City. I know that Matt Nagy is is hoping that this eventually turns into another opportunity to be head coach as well. And who better to work with than Patrick Mahomes? And to see his face light up, I thought it was legitimate in the fact that he's now working with Mahomes. And, you know, I guess when you're working with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles and a kid in Justin Fields. And that is very, very uh, enticing uh, when it comes to um, your own performance. And so not a, not a ton to say uh, on Nagy. I just think it's going to be good for Mahomes and and these two finally get a chance to work together. Don't forget. So Nagy was the OC in 17 and Mahomes was a rookie behind Alex. And then he got the head coach job and missed out all, all the starter years for Mahomes. So they finally get to work together. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. I think, uh, and and if and if uh, Nagy and and Bianami are being clear about what's going on between them, it could be a real interesting partnership that could be very productive. Um, I, I think this could be this could be real interesting, or it could be that they're covering up some nasty thing that's going on, and that'll be bad. We'll, <laughs> well maybe, all they have to do, John, quite obviously, is go twenty and zero. And yeah, everything will be fine. It'll all be fine. Yeah. Wide receivers coach Joe Blymeyer spoke at the podium. I've been pretty high on MBS on Twitter. Uh, nobody likes that I'm high on MBS and low on Justin Ross, but it is what it is. I'm not going to lie to you about what I'm seeing. But I, I found this really interesting about Blymeyer's comments. Uh, and this was on MBS. And he was asked about how they typically used him in Green Bay. And that was as this deep threat decoy to what every everything that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams would do. Here's what Weimar said. They had reasons for how they used him in Green Bay. We'll see what he can do and how he kind of writes his place here with us without putting them into a box and saying, this is what you did in the past. They had specific reasons. We may or may not have those same specific reasons, but there's obviously things that he does great, and you want to emphasize those strengths and then just kind of let him flourish and grow into the offense. Uh, went on to say, MVS is the epitome of professional. He comes to work, all business, athletic ability speaks for itself. When he gets into the classroom, you kind of see how he's gotten where he's gotten. He's on his P's and Q's, wants to learn the whole offense, every little part of it. I think that's because he he wants success individually, and then he also wants to be part of a successful team. I'm all about this. I think MVS is is poised for a, a breakout in Kansas City. I don't necessarily think that he was being used correctly in Green Bay in the shadow of that Rodgers Devontae Adams um, tandem. He is six feet four, 206 pounds, and runs almost as fast as Tyreek Hill. How they were not getting more opportunities for this guy is nuts. I think Andy Reid is the guy to do it. And this is the best possible comment that you could have by the wide receivers coach. And um, I feel bad because I'm really hyping up someone on, on, june 8th but i i believe in mbs <laughs> i really think he's gonna break out this year someone has to eat up the yardage right yeah that that's right that's right well and and you're making an excellent point here this is the absolutely the wrong time to get all on board with something i don't care like whatever it's, what am I, what? it could <laughs> blow up in your something. face so easily <laughs> yeah, that's okay. but I, but whatever. i agree with you i i think that that, that this is an under the under the radar signing that the chiefs made that could actually end up playing out very well 
And I agree that the comments that uh, Blymeyer made about uh, about Walda's scantling were very encouraging, and I'm excited to see where this is headed. Brendan Daly moved from defensive line to linebackers as Matt House became the defensive coordinator at, at LSU. Joe Cullen, former defensive coordinator of the Jags, was brought in to coach the defensive line. He says that the Chiefs will be using multiple fronts. I, I've been saying that, and, and that's something that I've been continuing to say. I think the defensive line is going to look a little different this year. So what we have in our head of it being right Chris Jones right in the middle, Clark on the right, uh, and... Uh, like a Derek Nottie in the middle as well. And then uh, at Karloftis at what would be like left end. I don't know if it's exactly going to look like, I think these guys are going to be in a lot of different positions and I think it's going to be a, a better defensive line because of it. I think it's continue to rotate as Steve Spagnuolo likes to do. He said he really likes what Karloftis brings to the table. That's not really a great, the greatest spoiler. I mean, they, they drafted this guy in the first round. You would expect right. that the defensive line coach likes what he does. We heard why, Steve Spagnuolo likes uh, George Karloftis stemming from the Zoom meeting that they had and how Karloftis just didn't want to get off the Zoom. He loves football that much. He he does, Karloftis, for what it's worth, seem like this. He seems like this guy who's just locked into football, mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. really want to talk about anything but football, which plays right into the hands of of what Chiefs fans love. I mean, they they don't – if, right. if these Chiefs could be working on football 16 hours a day, that's – what fans want and i and i don't blame them because right they're they're investing their hard-earned money and i i think Karloftis uh fits that this was the big head turner from joe cullen and i wonder if if uh, andy had a nice meeting with him after he said he expects career years for frank clark and chris jones yeah well that that didn't sit well with certain numbers members of the fan base <laughs> i like it what does career yeah. years mean? Is that a total of 20 sacks? Is, is it 25 sacks? What what are we expecting there? What is reasonable to expect from career years? Because I forget, like, Frank Clark had a couple years in a row of over 10 sacks, consistent. Chris Jones, I believe, had 15 and a half sacks one year. So a career year would be more than both of that. So it, by definition, let's say, let's just put Jones at 17 sacks. And then uh, Frank would have to be a little bit more than 10, right? So let's put him at 13. That's a that's a that, that'd be 30 sacks. Uh, I don't know if he exactly meant that, but that would that quite literally that would be the definition of a career year for these two guys. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you got to love that you got to love that he's coming in here and being enthusiastic about the players that he's got available to him. You, you got to love that, and uh, you got to love that he is, uh, you know, giving those players the confidence that uh, giving them the message that he has confidence in them. I, I think that's fine. But I also think it's cool that a guy with so much experience comes in and can be excited about the players he's got available to him. Um, I think that's really cool. And, and one of the most encouraging things I thought about about his comments was this guy has been around for a long time. Um, this is a, a well-established coach, kind of like Romeo Cornell in that respect. Um, that who's been around for a long time, seen a lot of things happen, and he mm-hmm. comes in and he's excited to have these players. Hey, I'm all on board with that. I'm, I'm I'll, right. tell you, I'll tell you this, and this is a this is a note that I, I pass along with some sadness here, but it, it, it is a worthy note that, you know, as Cullen is saying, there's not a better defensive tackle in the NFL when Chris Jones is on his game. If Cullen coaches up Chris Jones to that aforementioned 17 tackles, or, or sacks, I should say. John, you you saw the Aaron Donald deal? 
this mm-hmm. is going to be enjoy Chris Jones this year. That's all I would say because I do not think uh, our, our, uh, the GM Brett Veach will be giving Jones Aaron Donald money, and if his numbers are anything comparable, you know he's going to want that, and understandably so. So uh, enjoy the year from from nine five, especially if Cullen's words come to fruition there. Final note: I thought that was interesting from Steve Spagnolo and. You can expect this a little bit from Spags, but he's going to let the leadership play out. You lost Anthony Hitchens and Tyron Matthew to two leaders of your defense. We just sort of assumed that that would be Nick Bolton and Justin Reed, and it might be, uh, but he is not putting anyone into a box. Probably, in a way, a tough year for Steve Spagnuolo because he's got a lot of young players, and Spags is this old-school coach that really wants to rely on these guys who've sort of proven it before, and he's going to have to lean into younger guys and rookies early and they don't really have the backups to necessarily make them earn it and that we might have seen in the past john yeah that's uh going to be a, a a comfort level problems for spagnolo this year we all know he doesn't like to put rookies on the field he's done it occasionally when uh rookies have come in and, and really impressed um but we're probably going to have more on the field than he's really got a good comfort level for and that's going to be tough for him i think this season uh, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out uh, if he's put in a in a situation where he's not comfortable and maybe he gets more production out of these players and and he'll adjust how he looks at it, which I think would be a good thing over the long term. You're talking about a team that's got an enormous salary cap uh, hit from its franchise quarterback over a long period of time. One thing that we know about this situation is there's going to be a lot of young players Right. coming down the pike and they're going to have to contribute right when they come in, in a situation like this. So I think it'd be a good thing for Spagnolo to, to get used to the idea. He's got to put some young players out there and see what they can do. And he will. And it's usually just a matter of them earning it. It's just going to be an interesting scenario. The fact that he just has to put them out there almost no matter what, just because yeah. just considering the way the team has, has been built to defensively yeah. this year. All right, that's it for the assistance. Again, if you want to go back and listen to them in full, it's from the podium right here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. When we come back, we have answers and we have questions. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we're well over an hour. Uh, so behind the scenes, that's when Steve usually punches me in the back, like it gives me those kidney shots and says, <laughs> Pete, I tried. I, you, I want you to keep it under an hour. I know. I'm sorry. There's just too much to talk about. But I want to get into quickly, and I'll go through these quickly here. John, if you want to say or react to anything, I'm going to pass along here. Just let me know. Um, just some insights from last week's media look. Don't forget, during voluntary OTAs, we are allowed to look at these players once a week. It happens on Thursday. Usually we record the editor show on Wednesday, so I'll be going back on Thursday. Look for the insights uh, before our next editor show. On I've been posting them to my Twitter. We also have the quotes and articles and press conferences on OurHeadPride.com. Here's what I've uh, noticed so far that I, I think is worth bringing up on the podcast. These are the players absent in both media looks. And I want to emphasize uh, the Chiefs are saying, you know, they're, they're not concerned with this and they really shouldn't be. They, they are voluntary. But Orlando Brown, who's not technically under contract at this point. Uh, Frank Clark. Uh, we don't know. Therese Fountain, which is a little weird. Nicole Hardman has been absent from both, but he tweaked his hamstring. Uh, so we're waiting to see what happens with that. Chris Jones is a little bit uh, unknown. And uh, Lucas Niang. Uh, has been absent, which is to be expected. We we kind of figured that that would be the case. wasn't a guarantee, and he has been 
um, out. We'll see about Niang for for training camp. Uh, anything shocking to you with the double absences there? There's been players that have been absent that first media look and the second one, but these are the guys who were absent for both. I'd agree with it with you that Therese Fountain's kind of a surprise. He's not in a position that he can afford to give up any time in practice. Yeah. I, I wonder I if there's an injury there that we just don't yeah, know about. Yeah, that could be. That's that's entirely possible. Because the Chiefs don't want to tell us about injuries if they don't have to, and they don't have to right now. So that may be a situation where he's got some little uh, minor nagging injury and they're letting it play out. But you would think he would want to be on the field at this point. But that's the only one that really surprises me from that list. We'll see if Hardman is out there tomorrow. Uh, we haven't seen him again, but Andy Reid said that he's been dealing with a hamstring. Worth watching. Uh, so even though Sky Moore and LeJarius Sneed have been at practice, they have been nursing, it looks like, some injury issue, and they're not trying to press them. Sky Moore has been doing with his hammy since before rookie camp. A little concerning. As the longer it goes on, it gets more. I expect him to be full by training camp, but a hamstring is always weird. I just think it's just worth saying, and I don't love saying that. We just haven't really gotten to see a lot from him, and that's been sort of a bummer because this is the highest offensive player they they drafted and, and someone that really needs to help fill the void of Tyree Kill being a Miami Dolphin, and, and so we'll see what happens with the hammy. And then there was a mention by Andy Reid about LeJarius Sneed and, and some kind of knee issue and, and needing to develop strength there. And he's been limited as well when it comes to the, the team workouts. So I just think it's it's worth noting. And it's more of a note for, I think, well, what are they doing during mandatory minicamp? And if they're still limited, it's still not really reason to worry. It's if we get to training camp right. and all of a sudden more right. Sneed are still not working, then I, then I think it's time to you know, do the whistles and the bells and whatever uh right now wide receiver uh i uh, continue to try to explain it i don't know if justin ross is going to make the team which is not the uh, the most popular uh uh taken in in the world i like some combination if i'm having a guess now uh uh, of justin watson who offers you something at special teams josh gordon i know that's hard to say and uh darice fountain i think it's a combination of two out of those three guys over Justin Ross. That's my very, very, very early take that can change. If Ross, when they throw the pads on, starts to dominate this, I could easily have them in my second version of the 53 man projection, uh, you know, Ross over one of these guys. But right now I think it's a, I think Watson is going to make the team. I, I really like this Justin Watson kid. I, I know it sounds crazy. He's not a rookie. He, you know, he's spent mm-hmm. a couple of years yeah. in Tampa Bay experienced player, he's special teams, <clears throat> I know that at the end of the wide receiver room, they tend to like special teams, uh, especially that sixth spot. The fifth spot can go a couple different ways. And I think Josh Gordon gets another real opportunity. If Watson is a shoe in let's say, for that sixth spot, the fifth spot may come down to Gordon versus Ross. And so I know a lot of people would be like, well, we know what Gordon is. Throw Ross in there. I think Ross just needs to show more. Uh, we'll see uh, if he can have a couple more tweet videos of catching the ball one-handed, John. You never, <laughs> you never do know. <clears throat> Well, I'd just uh, like to point out for all of you who are steaming over Pete's Justin yeah, Ross sorry. take, it's at PG Sween yeah, on Twitter. It, that's it. I then. love mentions. Just the more mentions. About <laughs> all right. Uh, I noted this before. MVS appears to be the guy. Also, uh, Juju was not at last practice. and We don't really know why. He, he could just skip it if he wants. Uh, McCole Hardman hasn't been working. Sky Moore hasn't been working. So that plays into it, too. It just seems yeah. like Mahomes has the best rapport with MVS, but the other guys who are expected to be the other receivers haven't really been going. 
Uh, I'm not sure Chad Henney has anything to worry about. We, I know I had noted that Shane Bouchelle could threaten his backup job, but I don't know. I just think he'll, I think he'll be the backup this year. I saw uh, Malik Herring bat down another pass. I think that was a good sign. Really excited for both Herring and Carl Loftus in padded practices, which we won't get for another couple months here. Uh, and I noted this on Twitter. Joshua Williams stood out. Fourth round, HBCU uh, defensive back. He was impressive on one-on-one reps. Intercepted Henny during the team period. Broke up a pass in seven-on-seven. Seven. Uh, much like the offensive line last year, uh, the Chiefs went from weak to strong depth-wise to me in the defensive back room. Now, it isn't the Joe Toonies and Orlando Brown and the names that that I think I think they really became stronger there. And like I think think more Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. I think their names were going to grow to learn mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to mm-hmm. splashes. And they took a lot of darts, right? Uh, so that helps because, you know, you, you fire off enough of these darts, you're going to hit a bull, bullseye eventually. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like Joshua Williams was never a player that I thought I would notice during OTAs, and I think that's a very good sign. So. Well, we never thought we'd notice Rashad Fenton either. So there you go. Exactly. There's another one. All right, yeah. let's bring in Steve for this this final segment. We are talking about mandatory minicamp uh, questions that we have going into next week. Again, this happens on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're each going to have two questions, and let's not repeat questions if we can, uh, guys. John will give you the honor as the elder statesman in the room, our, our esteemed deputy editor. <laughs> what is the burning question that you have entering uh, mandatory minicamp? Well, we talked about this last week, and you just mentioned it just now. I'm very interested to see what Malik Herring can do. Uh, I, I remain convinced that uh, that Herring's uh, presence on the roster had some bearing on the decisions the Chiefs made uh, on the defensive line in the offseason. So I'm anxious to see uh, if if they can get some production out of the guy. We really know nothing about him. You know, didn't see him last year because of the injury and the red shirt season, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited to see what uh, what we can what we could expect from him. And it's not even his fault here, but in a way, Herring has almost become the free agent signing mm-hmm. because yeah. they didn't bring in Ingram. There's still time to bring in these guys after uh, what would be mandatory minicamp. Uh, veterans that are on the market right now probably don't want to go to mandatory minicamp, and I can't say I blame them. And so right. maybe. You know, you get another veteran in there. But right now, Herring seems to be this unknown guy in a way you brought in to make an impact in the room. Is that fair to him? <laughs> Probably not. No, but no not at it all. It is what but, it is. It is yeah. what it is. That, that, that's a good point. All right, Steve, what's up, man? Let's let's hear your mandatory minicamp question. So you guys have talked about the wide receivers a lot on today's show. And I think that's one of the biggest questions that I have. And I know. Pete, you've really been pushing this is that MVS looks like he's got that good chemistry with Patrick Mahomes and like he might be like a significant portion of the offense for them this season. Now, I've been a little hesitant uh, on MVS because in Green Bay, he was legitimately just a a downfield straight line wide receiver, like just did not. Was it wasn't asked to do a lot of things other than mm-hmm. that. So it's not to say that he can't do that stuff. I'm just curious if he actually is their top wide receiver, if we'll get any clarity on that, if McColl and Sky Moore can actually get on the field and we can see how they're utilized a little bit. I, I just want to know what to expect from the Chiefs pass catchers, I guess. John, why why, why bring in Steve? I, I'm trying to make a point here, and he just pulls the rug. <laughs> 
I'm just, I'm just worried. I'm just worried. Some of this, here. Some of this is fantasy football too, because everybody's asking my question. Yes, yeah, my... I'm, I'm scared of it all. My question for manager minicamp is why did I bring Steve on the podcast? That's really my <laughs> biggest question. No, uh, no, it's a good question. I, I have my doubts too. I, I almost can't believe what I'm seeing. I just have several times while I'm at OTAs and, you know, fans can't be there. So it, we're lucky to be able to, to watch. And I'm just like, who is that? I'm like, that's MVS again. So if that continues, we, we shall see. I, I, I do have my questions. I mean, he was with a great quarterback in Green Bay and it really didn't necessarily lead to, you know, what would be production. I, I think there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder as well. My question has a little bit to do with that. And I, it's an obvious question, but I, I think we have to say it. It's like, man, we're, we're in June. There's been all these workouts. Can we see the full lot of Chiefs weapons together? Can we see Travis Kelsey with Sky Moore, McCall Hardman on the field at the same time? Juju, uh, you know, MVS, we just mentioned. Could we see Clyde in that mix? Ronald Jones, Isaiah Pacheco. Could we see the tight ends together with Noah Gray and, and Kelsey and a mix of these guys? between Mahomes being absent and some of these like weird injuries and everything. We have not been able to see that yet. And mandatory manicamp, everyone has to be there. It'd be finally just nice to see these guys all working together and to start to have that foundation of what is a completely brand new chiefs offense. If this is, if this was the offense of previous years, I don't think that would be such a thing that would, would be on my mind. I would probably be turning to my attention to something else, but this is, in a way, personnel and player-wise, a brand new offense, and that, that's at least in player personnel-wise. I imagine the scheme is going to be completely different because of Andy Reid and how he builds his offense. So I just think getting these guys together would be great. I don't know if I can expect it just because of the injury situation and the uncertainty there for mandatory minicamp. Uh, so this could be a question that extends to you know, what would be training camp, and that, that almost seems like an expectation at that point. We'll get more information on that Thursday and another media look. And then again, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we get to be a practice all three days. All right, Steve, we'll go back to you. Snake it around. What's your second mandatory minicamp question? My second big question is, and I'm sure you guys have seen the pictures and, and workout video videos circulating. Uh, Brandon mm -hmm. Kiley is the one that brought this. To oh, mind. yeah. Frank Clark, if our listeners have not seen him, go go look this up. Frank Clark looks skinny right now, and he has been putting up a lot of workout videos and pictures of stuff of everything that he's doing this offseason. And, man, he looks light. Like, he looks as light as I have ever seen him in a Chiefs uniform. Now, you know, he it might be best shape of his life kind of thing right now where he's – trying to drop weight because maybe he thinks that that has something to do with the injuries that he's kind of been picking up the last couple of years that have slowed him down. And it is essentially a contract year for Frank Clark. So since we haven't really seen him in any of the voluntary stuff yet, I'm just curious to see him on the field and see if that weight loss is like actually showing up. And if it's making him faster, if it's making him more explosive off the edge or if it looks like he's so small that he's almost like lost some of his strength because he's always been kind of a power rusher. I I have to imagine he's looking at the contracts that Von Miller got and Chandler Jones got and Zadarius Smith got and saying like, if I put together a huge year this year, I can go get paid like one of these other veteran guys. So I'd have to imagine that has something to do with it. He just, he looks so skinny. Like it's concerning. I don't think that you want your top defensive end to be nicknamed skinny Frank. I, I think that would, wouldn't be something that, that sounds all that enticing. Uh, I have seen it. I don't think it's anything to worry about yet. And, you know, there, there's still time to maybe put back on more weight. 
Frank has been a guy that has had from time to time these illnesses. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the stomach illness yeah. has cost him games before where he lost a ton of weight. You worry about it, uh, I, I think, a little bit, but we got to see how he shows up to mandatory minicamp. Again, that's the first time that guys can't be uh, or they have to be there or they are subject to a fine by the team. All right, John, what's your uh, second question here? Well, my other thing is uh, I'm wondering who's going to play left tackle while uh, <laughs> yeah. Orlando Brown is uh, not, without a contract. I mean, he's he's still not going to be with, with a, a, a by, by the beginning of the mandatory minicamp. He's not going to have a new deal. I don't think we're going to see a contract signed in the next few days. So uh, who plays in that spot? Who's the guy who's going to be the backup behind Brown if he plays under the tag and if he walks away, which, as I said before, I consider unlikely. But if Mm -hmm. things go crazy and he doesn't play for the Chiefs this year, who's going to be there? I don't think it's going to be Joe Tooney. I'm sorry. I I don't think that's what the Chiefs want to do. I think the Chiefs want to have somebody there. And they've got a lot of guys in camp right now, a lot of guys on the roster. And I'd be curious to see which one of them is the guy uh, who's the backup there at left tackle based upon reporting guidelines. We are not able to say where they line up, but we have seen videos out by the chiefs where Andrew Wiley consistently has been the right tackle. We've seen videos where Roderick Johnson was at left. You could Jaron Christian could be a guy that's rotating with Roderick Johnson at left tackle. So, uh, we may see more of that as we get to mandatory minicamp uh, and beyond. All right. With my last question, I I think I'm just wondering more about the running back situation. And it's just it's been tough, I think, with voluntary workouts to really get a feel for the running backs because it's such a passing camp. So I'm just continuing to be curious as to is Rojo really going to be this lead guy? You know, my my questions are, are both about the offense, because I I think to an extent and yes, it's younger players, but we sort of have a feel for the the defense, the offense remains just a grand mystery. Like what is Rojo's role? How does Clyde fit into that? Is it true that Clyde could maybe be the third down guy? Is he not? Is he just going to be the the first and second? And it's going to be a series by series rotation. Maybe we start to get more clues about that. And we got a, we got a fun little battle, I think for RB three between a seventh rounder and Isaiah Pacheco, Derek Gore, the, the Gale Sayers of our lifetime. And then you have Jerry and Ely, who is has looked pretty good. You know, I, I think carrying the football, uh, maybe you get some more clues uh, about the running back room uh, as we get to mandatory and then leading into to training camp. And so uh, there we go. That's that's uh, that's kind of all, all of our questions heading into minicamp and an hour and 18 some odd minutes. We have completed our long rundown of the June eighth editor show we have made this marathon we have completed uh, we have sweat off our brow we went through the news our assistance <laughs> our insights our questions uh, so it's been a good show thank you to steve for both popping on for our round table and for editing this bad boy thank you to john who did a fantastic job as we talked through all the chiefs matters and news and, and whatnot my name is Pete sweeney if you like the podcast please do me a favor go on rate and review us every review we will read here on the arrowhead pride editor show thank you once again for taking some time out of your day to spend with us.